Section 13 of A Battle of the Books. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Battle of the Books by Gail Hamilton. Battle of Gog and Magog, Part 4. It was for the purpose of elucidating this matter also that the questions were sent to Messrs. Hunt, Perry, and Co. some days before the reference began. Had I known the profits of their firm, the number and sales of their books, and the profits of their periodicals, I should have been in a position to judge of the correctness of their statements regarding the cost and profits of my books. Mr. Perry objects to such testimony, as he says they may make a great deal of money in outside ways, by speculating in butter, for instance. Precisely. But they advertise themselves as a publishing house solely, not as a publishing and butter house. It is Hunt, Perry, and Co. publishers, not publishers and dairymen. When I am charged in my books with the cost of store rent, I wish to know whether the rent is for packing cases or butter tubs. I am charged for insurance and clerk hire, how can I tell whether the insurance and clerk hire cover my share alone, or whether they may not also embrace the safety and the management of the Adriatic? There is a separate item for the cost of advertising, but I am told that in a single year the receipts of the firm for advertising in their periodicals are $10,000 more than the cost to them of all the advertisements which they publish elsewhere undoubtedly the sagacity of the firm in managing their periodicals has much to do with that circulation which makes them so valuable as advertising mediums but is it not just possible that the quality of the writing has some slight influence on their circulation yet not only are the authors of the books and of the magazine articles often one and the same but the articles themselves are frequently but extracts from the books and the books themselves are frequently made up in part or in whole from the articles. I do not mention this as an advantage to the publishers and a disadvantage to the author, but simply to show that the book business and the magazine business are so interwoven that an investigation of the one, to be exhaustive, must be to some extent an investigation of the other." Messrs. Hunt, Perry, and Co. must give us all the data if we are to make their sums prove, as the children say. As they decline to do this, and as I never learned to cipher in turkey rule, they have everything their own way in arithmetic. Another point in Mr. Hunt's letter of explanation was, as he says, this arrangement we make now with all our authors. When I wrote to Mr. Hunt about the last of August, 1768, that, contrary to what I had understood his assertion to be, several authors had ten per cent, and therefore I thought I ought to have ten per cent, the firm did not deny my premise, but simply said, In your letter you assume that we have but one set of terms with the various authors whose works we publish. In this you are in error." What we pay to any individual author is a matter quite between him or her and ourselves, and it is not our custom to make one author the criterion for another. Many elements enter into the case that would make a uniform rate impracticable. 
independently of other considerations the varying cost of manufacture caused by different styles of publication would alone preclude such an arrangement we must therefore decline to admit such an argument into the case the fact is it was not necessary to admit it since it was already there placed there by mr hunt's own hands it was offered as an inducement for me to accept the new terms this arrangement we now make with all our authors either then messrs brummel and hunt do make a uniform arrangement with all their authors or they do not if they do this last letter cannot be a correct statement of facts and the question arises what is that uniform arrangement if they do not then mr hunt's letter of september twenty three seventeen sixty four cannot be true and the representation which he held out to me of a uniform mode of payment as an inducement for me to come into the arrangement was not a correct representation to ascertain whether or not they did make such an arrangement i applied to such authors as were within reach to know what were and had been their rates of payment a writes i have always received a percentage i remember no change in seventeen sixty four unless that b and h about that time perhaps earlier without my asking it raised the sum they paid me for a poem by one-third b says i have been content with ten per cent messrs hunt and perry and co write to c even d now has only ten per cent e says i never published but one book prose with brummel and hunt i received on this the usual beggarly percentage f says generally we go on the system of half profits in regard to old king cole they print and sell and allow me a certain sum on each copy sold g says brummel and hunt have i believe allowed me ten per cent on the retail price of my books h says i believe it the book was to have yielded ten per cent if anything i says messrs h p and co have published four books for me the three first sell for a dollar twenty five and i receive twelve cents each copy the last is a joint affair published by subscription k says all my contracts have been for one-half the net profits the two volumes published by the troubadours were offered to perry but as he wanted to make other terms i declined and they went to the troubadours this is the sum of my transactions with messrs b and h on friday april sixteen mr dane sent to messrs hunt perry and co certain questions in writing which the referees now hold asking them to cite their contracts with other authors and giving a list of names did they meet this question fairly on friday april twenty three they made their reply to my statement on the question of contracts they cited a's collected poems b's poems f's old king cole m's works collected a part of which had to be bought from another publisher and the works of theodore winthrop which i believe were not asked for all these they cited as examples of works on which similar contracts to mine had been made and they cited no others if these persons had written no other works this would have been fair as far as it goes but these persons had written other works 
and i maintain that messrs hunt perry and co had selected out of these works those that were most unlike mine in scope style cost and probable circulation and said nothing whatever about books by the same authors which would more nearly resemble mine in these respects a besides his collected poems his blue and gold and cabinet editions of his poems has written separate poems and prose works which have been issued in separate editions and which therefore furnish a far more proper basis of comparison with mine but about these separate books they said nothing of his separate books a b c d e they made no mention they brought up b as one whose works were treated in the same way as mine but they mentioned only his poems blue and gold and his songs they never hinted that he had printed and they had published any prose book for him yet it is these prose books his novels and essays which form the true basis of comparison between him and me they cited f but they cited only his old king cole which they did not originally publish and which they own by a peculiar bargain and said nothing about the original books which they have published for him novels essays and stories they cited m but while bringing in his collected poems which were entangled in a bargain with some previous contumacious publisher one fusey they said nothing of his separate volumes they cited winthrop but winthrop like marley was dead to begin with and if the living have hard work to hold their own against this enterprising firm what can be expected of the dead here they rested their case so far as the contracts go but as a desire was expressed to see the contracts they promised to produce them next morning on saturday accordingly we began with one set of contracts which proved to be a most perplexing medley a sort of contra-dance between written contracts and verbal agreements with the rattling of stereotype plates for tambourines as the government of russia is said to be despotism tempered by assassination so the business of messrs hunt perry and co may be said to be conducted on the basis of written contracts annulled by verbal agreements if we were met for the purpose of preparing a mars hill house shorter catechism and should ask what is the chief end of a written contract messrs h p and co would promptly reply a written contract's chief end is to be cancelled by a verbal agreement and annihilated for ever according to their practice it seems that we all agree in writing as to what we will do for the sake of saying afterwards that we won't do it however plodding my way along as best i could through the contracts with mr markman's kind assistance i found or thought i found that for one book its author received at first twenty per cent he owning the stereotype plates whether this was by written contract or verbal agreement mr markman does not recollect from seventeen sixty two to seventeen sixty four he received twenty cents a volume the retail price meanwhile having advanced from one to two dollars since then a written contract gives him twenty cents a volume the retail price being two dollars a second book by the same author is on the same principle except that there is no written contract a third in seventeen sixty two either by contract or verbal agreement 
was receiving twenty per cent on one dollar retail price the author owning stereotype plates in seventeen sixty four it was changed verbally from percentage to twenty cents a volume the price having gone up to two dollars while i was painfully thridding these labyrinthine ways i was arrested by a proposition from some quarter that time should be saved by entrusting the further examination of these contracts to the referees i had every confidence in the referees but how could i make my argument concerning these contracts without having seen them it was said that i should be present and examine them with the referees but the referees were about to disperse to the four quarters of the earth or as there are only two of them i suppose it might be more strictly accurate to say the two hemispheres not to meet again till thursday when i was to make my final statement mr markman then said that he would have the principal points of the contracts copied and sent to me either saturday afternoon or monday but on tuesday i received a letter from him saying that his time had been so much occupied with matters relating to mr hunt's absence that he has not had time to complete the copyright memorandum which he promised to send me but will surely send it to-morrow all of which i do not in the least doubt but it does not alter the fact that the information concerning the contracts for which i asked ten days ago has not yet been furnished that i am to hand in my argument on wednesday and find myself at home to write up the play of hamlet with a pretty important part of hamlet left out from what goes in however i am left like providence among the heathen not without witness excepting alleged verbal agreements it seems that the author cited in changing from percentage to fixed sum came down to a sum fixed as high as the highest of my percentage that is he at his lowest is precisely where i was at my highest my sole ambition was to climb as high as the point where he stopped falling does this fairly make out the assertion this arrangement we make now with all our authors but i cannot reason upon contracts which i have never seen i fall back upon the statements made to me by the authors i have quoted and on this ground i affirm that i have not fared as the other authors even of messrs hunt perry and co have fared neither can i accept their allegations of verbal agreements which cancel written contracts the only verbal agreement i know anything about is one that never existed i did not intend to mention mrs blank any further than i have done but mr perry has cited her case and i may therefore be permitted to say that verbal agreements and explanations were brought to bear on her in the same way in a letter to me dated august ninth seventeen sixty eight she says quote, a letter received from mr hunt thursday telling me that he had explained as i knew just what he had never once explained as he knew and i read it and denied totally all his assertions end quote. august twenty seventeen sixty eight she says quote, do you see all the contracts mr hunt tells mr e were verbal i do not believe mr blank ever consented to change to ten per cent because he would have told me and besides you see he had fifteen per cent for the very last book he gave them 
and now they say he made a verbal agreement with mr brummel who is dead and cannot say anything but they show no papers End quote. i have been a practitioner at law but four days and it becomes me to be modest yet i will hazard the remark that a verbal agreement without witnesses between two dead men is as near nothing as anything in the way of evidence can well be mr perry affirms that mrs blank's sister afterwards examined their books and found nothing wrong therein and that mrs blank was subsequently satisfied i saw mrs blank in paris on her way to asia and it seemed to me that she was very far from satisfied but that she was worried out and preferred peace to pence one can imagine miss blank hunting up messrs hunt perry and co's account books in pursuit of knowledge neither do i accept accounts as proofs of a verbal agreement my accounts ran on for years unchallenged without any such agreement though that agreement is now alleged as the basis of the accounts j wrote to me may eleventh seventeen sixty eight quote, in the accounts of sale i believe the price paid me was ten per cent of the original retail price that is the ambrosia was published at a dollar fifty and i have always received fifteen cents a copy on that when paper became too high during the war the price of the book was raised to a dollar seventy five but i am pretty sure i never received seventeen and a half cents but always only fifteen yet as the papers are at home i cannot be certain only in a little account of sale sent here this winter the reckoning was at fifteen cents a copy for one and twelve and a half cents for the other but the account covered a space of three years during which the books had been selling at a dollar seventy five and a dollar fifty respectively so that literally he has not been paying me ten per cent but i did not think much about it taking it for granted that the extra price was due to hard times but i do not know why our labor is the only labor to remain low priced here it will be seen that for three years jay's accounts might have been cited at any time as proof of a verbal agreement though no such agreement had ever been made or even alleged messrs h p and co may say that they have a right to infer that silence gives consent and that authors have no right to be so loose in money matters leaving out any silence which might arise from delicacy i would say it is true that they ought to be more accurate and systematic but surely we may say to our publishers as the crab remarked to his father when rebuked for going sidewise gladly my father would we walk straight if we could first see you setting the example but authors are not always to be blamed for their silence we are not very large buyers of our own books and do not always know when the price is raised surely we cannot be expected to sit inflexibly upon our property like miss betsy trotwood watching the rates of sale it was a considerable time after l's story-book advanced in price before its author discovered it as soon as she did she made a note of it and after a little trouble succeeded in having her contract fulfilled but any time between the change and her discovery of it her account might have been alleged as proof of a verbal agreement which did not exist i am of course not saying that it would have been so 
but that it might have been so what we want therefore is facts mr gradgrind since writing this mr markman's memoranda of contracts have put in an appearance and if correct show beyond question that their letter of september seventeen sixty eight was true and that the statement in mr hunt's september seventeen sixty four letter was not true there is scarcely an approach to uniformity in the arrangements made with authors taking those books which most resemble mine the contracts are of every species there are contracts for twenty per cent where the author owns the plates and ten per cent where the publisher owns them books that retail at a dollar twenty-five pay the author ten cents per volume or fifteen cents per volume he owning the stereotype plates or twelve cents per volume or twelve and a half cents per volume books that retail at a dollar fifty pay the author fifteen cents and ten cents books that retail at seventy-five cents pay five per copy books that retail at a dollar pay twenty cents per copy books that retail at two dollars and a dollar seventy-five do the same books that retail at a dollar twelve pay ten cents when a verbal agreement is alleged as a substitute for a written contract the substitute also varies some of the contracts are for half profits i do not find a single example of a book that retails at two dollars and pays the author fifteen cents i shall depend upon the referees to discover any fault in my figures but i believe they are correct when a change is made from percentage to a fixed sum there is generally a decrease to the author but not so great as in my case the aggregate of one set of books at a percentage was a dollar thirty-six and a quarter after the change to a fixed sum it amounted to a dollar sixty-eight on some of the books there has been no change so that when mr hunt says this arrangement we make now with all our authors whether he means that they change from percentage to a fixed sum or whether he means that they make with all the same ratio of decrease that they make with me he is equally incorrect there is no sense in which his words can be understood in which they are true there is one sense in which they may be found correct if we construe them to mean we pay all our authors just as little as we think they will stand you being rather the most pliable of any will bear the greatest reduction and we have accordingly reduced you to the lowest point they appear to be marvellously accurate i claim therefore that i never assented to the second contract because i never understood it and because the representations made to me as inducements were not correct i claim that mr hunt's letter was calculated i do not say intentionally to mislead and deceive me that i was misled and deceived by it and as the result of this deception i signed a contract which deprived me of my plainest rights in the premises and the accounts subsequently rendered were accepted by me in the same good faith with which i sought the contract with scarcely an examination certainly without the least suspicion of the books not named in the contracts i believe i need say little even had the second contract been valid no understanding can be inferred from it as to the five books not included in it why should the second contract be taken as a guide any more than the first 
the first was made under ordinary circumstances the second under peculiar ones which soon changed they did not themselves understand that the second contract governed all the rest for they did not pay me fifteen cents but only ten cents on holidays they say that it was a small book but so was the rights of men yet holidays contained one hundred forty one pages was retailed at a dollar fifty and paid me ten cents while the rights of men contained two hundred twelve pages retailed at a dollar fifty and paid me fifteen cents no accounts being rendered till after the trouble began mr perry says that holidays was a different kind of book a children's book with pictures and therefore he supposed they did not class it with the others but simply fixed a price which they thought equitable but x's story-book was also a juvenile book with pictures of the same class as mine yet on that they paid by contract ten per cent c's story-book was also an illustrated juvenile and on that they paid half profits but i hold that the contract pretending to cover dies alba rocks of offence and old miasmas is inoperative and void and cannot regulate the compensation to which i am entitled by copyright on these three books still less can it regulate the compensation to which i am entitled on subsequent ones if a contract is void in the direct operation claimed for it its inferential operation must be shadowy indeed with all due respect i hold that it is little less than absurd for messrs hunt perry and co to claim that i am bound to accept that contract as the basis of settlement for subsequent publications i hold that on these five books published under no contract i may claim what is just according to the usages of the trade i do not know what may be the result of the inquiries of the referees among publishers mr dane as his letter shows made careful investigations and found no one who did not say that ten per cent was the minimum price i believe that no respectable publisher can be found in the country who regarding the cost of the books and the number sold will not say that ten per cent on the retail price is the very lowest sum that an honourable publisher would have paid me had the whole matter been referred to his own honour nor is it necessary to scour the country for evidence since messrs hunt perry and co recognize such a usage themselves even if they do not follow it on what other principle did they allow me ten per cent in the beginning on city lights when i was a new author and they had the whole matter of price in their own hands during the reference they have also offered to return to ten per cent why should they offer ten per cent in the beginning and ten per cent at the close and skip about meanwhile from six and two-thirds to seven and a half per cent according to their fancy or caprice this is a specimen of piping on the part of publishers and dancing on the part of authors that i do not propose to take part in my claim to compensation on five hundred of the fifteen hundred books exempted in the first edition of city lights needs no laboured argument their attempt to prove from their books that i had due notice of the fact proves that i ought to have had notice while the accounts received and produced by me prove that no such notice was given me 
mr markman thinks it may have been lost in the mail but the accounts which i hold cover the whole time of my transactions with messrs brummel and hunt and i submit that the males shall be believed innocent till they are proved guilty and that messrs brummel and hunt must be nipped in the bud or they will soon as sydney smith says be speaking disrespectfully of the equator mr perry admits that without explanation the word edition means a thousand copies he also admits that in all cases when more than a thousand copies are exempted the specific number is given he believes mine to be the only exception to this rule he alleges as the reason for this unusual exemption the unusual cost of my books saying that they cost a great deal more than any other on their list to this i reply that i should have been told in the beginning that they did or would cost more than others mr markman then brings forward a letter of mine to prove that i was told and did know that the books cost more this letter bears date september twentieth seventeen sixty two two days after the publication of city lights and the extract says quote, the fact that i wish to impress upon your mind is that you have tricked out my book so beautifully that nothing could be lovelier you would not have done it though if i had not threatened you within an inch of your life would you etc 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 but now see i never thought till yesterday that they must cost more than the other way and i have been distressed all along and this makes me more so etc this does not prove what mr markman introduced it to prove but it proves just the opposite which is the next best thing it shows that until the day after the book was published i had never thought of the book's cost and that then the thought was spontaneous not suggested to me by others it proves beyond question that nothing had ever been said to me about it on one or two other points not strictly necessary to the case but introduced by mr perry i must beg a moment's forbearance mr perry feeling that my claim involves fraud reads extracts from my early letters to show that i was very urgent to publish city lights that i expressed the greatest confidence in them and that in short i came to them in such a way as to use his own language would have almost held out a temptation to defraud me so that if they had been disposed to defraud me at all they would have done it then fraud is a hard word and i believe i have not used it but if mr perry insists i will say that the exemption of the fifteen hundred books under cover of an edition occurred with the first edition of my first book and i really don't see how they could have begun much earlier if they had tried mr perry mentions as a proof of their friendly intentions that they desired to refer the whole matter to mr rogers because they thought he was my friend that they offered to refer it to my friend mr brooke of whom they knew nothing and to my friend mr greatheart of whom they knew very little it will be observed that they did not once ask me to select a friend but generously took the whole burden of the selection upon themselves the first person to whom they offered to refer it was mr rogers and i accepted him gladly i was so much in earnest that i wrote him myself begging him not to decline and this although i had never seen him 
on account of his health he felt obliged to decline but before he had declined messrs hunt perry and co proposed to relinquish him for what reason i do not know they proposed that i should give up mr russell and they should give up mr rogers and we should each make a new selection i was entirely satisfied both with my choice and theirs and i saw no reason for changing so that i not only accepted the nail they drove but i clinched it myself i not only kept to my own choice but i had to make them keep to theirs it was while they stood thus shivering on the brink after mr rogers had been proposed and accepted and before he had declined that they proposed mr brooke and mr greatheart but was it friendly in them to turn away from their own choice and go about among my friends choosing persons of whose qualifications they were ignorant forcing me to reject them and thus to discriminate against my own friends did not messrs hunt perry and co know that this was a matter not to be settled by sentiment i should have considered it a far more unequivocal sign of friendliness if they had permitted me to appear before the referees with the friend whom i had intelligently chosen who had stood by me through the whole trouble who was familiar with all the details of my case and capable of understanding all the details of theirs and by whose aid therefore arbitration might be satisfactory as well as conclusive instead of which they compelled me to stand alone unaided without preparation without the possibility of being prepared in a position for which their long acquaintance with me must have told them i was eminently unfit and which one at least of their number must have known would be to me peculiarly embarrassing and distressing their idea of a friendly arbitration seems to be that of imposing upon me the friends i do not want and taking away from me the friend i do want mr perry thinks indeed that mr dane had poisoned my mind regarding them but he also thought mrs blank's mind was jaundiced perhaps that question belongs to the doctors rather than the referees whether it be poison or jaundice it is to be hoped the disease may not spread there are other parts of mr perry's statements which i should like to lay before the referees but i remember that they are mortal and though the spirit is willing the flesh is weak and i forbear in conclusion i claim that my first contract for city lights specially stipulating ten per cent shall be carried out in good faith and that it shall not be considered as changed or modified by any conversation remembered by mr hunt but absolutely denied by myself and i claim that the word addition used herein shall be held to mean just what mr perry admits it would mean in common acceptation with the book trade namely one thousand copies two i claim that my second contract covering alba dies rocks of offence and old miasmas was obtained from me under a total misapprehension of facts that this misapprehension of mine was the result of a misrepresentation i do not say intentional made to me by mr hunt in his letter of september twenty three seventeen sixty four wherein he represents the arrangement as one uniform among their authors and as assuring me a rate of compensation which he leaves me to infer i might not otherwise obtain 
whereas he knew that the arrangement was not uniform and that my percentage would amount to more as prices were then tending and the arrangement was made by him so as to prevent my ten per cent from amounting to more than fifteen cents per copy this i did not understand and should not have assented to if i had understood it i hold that neither in law equity morals nor manners should i be held to an agreement which i did not comprehend which the opposite party so presented as to prevent my comprehending it and which deprived me of my proportionate share of an increase of profit admitted to have been made on the books published under it the contract therefore should be set aside and i should be paid according to the usage of publishers or at the same rate as appears in the contract for city lights namely ten per cent three i claim that on my books published since the date of my second contract and not alluded to or included in either contract namely winter work holidays pencilings cotton picking and rights of men my compensation shall be fixed by the usage existing among publishers and authors four i claim and must certainly be entitled to receive interest at the rate of seven per cent on all sums found to be due me at the date of the several semi-annual settlements counting my compensation uniformly at the rate of ten per cent on the retail price of the books at the date of the settlement this point is so plain that it can need no argument five i claim that i am equitably entitled to damages to compensate me for the loss that has resulted to me pecuniarily and otherwise from this unhappy occurrence my pecuniary damage alone amounts to more than three thousand dollars there are hurts of other kinds to which money bears no relation my actual expenses in preparing for this reference have been very considerable and under the award of costs i claim that i should have an ample allowance made me to cover my outlays in this regard after this statement had been read messrs hunt perry and co were permitted to make whatever of reply they chose they denied no fact and challenged no inference in my statement the referees after two days of deliberation returned the following decision the undersigned mutually agreed upon as referees in the matter in controversy between m n and messrs hunt perry and co on their own account and as successors of brummel and hunt hereby award to m n the sum of twelve hundred and fifty dollars to be paid her by hunt perry and co within three days from the date of this paper in full compensation for her claims upon the matter in this controversy and that hereafter m n shall receive ten per cent copyright on the retail price of all her books printed by hunt perry and co except the three books embraced in the contract between the parties dated september twenty four seventeen sixty four the referees decline any compensation for services or expenses and leave each party to pay their own costs signed and delivered april thirty seventeen sixty nine j russell g w hampton end of section thirteen